Hi, my name is Berya Aslan. I'm a polar explorer and a Norwegian ambassador. Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Eivin Eitzlott. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, we meet a living legend within polar expeditions. He has skied alone and unsupported to the North Pole. He has crossed the whole of Antarctica alone and unsupported. He has also started the project Ice Legacy, where he is aiming to cross the 20 largest ice caps in the world, together with Vincent Culliard. Their common goal is to tell the world what's happening to our glaciers, as well to inspire the younger generation to use and preserve nature. In this episode, we'll hear Börge talk about his latest great adventure, when he and Mike Horn crossed the North Pole in winter darkness. It's an honor for us to welcome Börge Auslan to our podcast studio here in Oslo, Norway. Welcome to Norona Podcast, Börge. Thank you. You look strong and fit, like always. <clears throat> I feel strong and fit and ready for this. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we would like to hear everything about your latest expedition when you and the Swiss adventurer Mike Horn crossed mm. the North Pole during winter time. Mm. What on earth did you think, think about when you <laughs> came up with that idea? Well, on this trip, it was actually Mike who asked me. Um, last time it was me who asked him. So okay. it's kind of a, I, I guess... A, a, it's every second time. <laughs> every second time. We've done two big trips together because I have to mention that we did a winter trip in 2006. Yes. And it was actually on that trip we really, really learned all the tricks in the books, so how to navigate in the dark and and how it works with the, the equipment that time of year, you know, how to get across open water, that intense uh, uh, cold you have, all the moisture, and, you know, all those problems you have during winter time uh, on the way to the North Pole, we learned in... 2006 and we would never have managed to do that uh, last trip uh, in 2019 without that experience so that's really where we uh, learned the tricks in the books and and laid uh, down the fundament uh, for that crossing in 2019 and and then we did lots of trips independently and on the way back from uh, Mike's solo crossing of Antarctica. He called me from Tasmania and asked me <laughs> if I wanted to join him on that trip across the North Pole. And I said yes. I said yes immediately. Also because I had also uh, personally a dream in me that uh, once in a life to do a classical North Pole expedition, you know, sail into the Arctic Ocean, ski across the North Pole and sail out. And that is what we wanted to do. Yeah. And how was the, the elevator pitch when you tried to explain this to your family and your potential sponsors and so on? Well, <laughs> um, uh, my wife has always been very supportive uh, to to me and my, my expeditions. And, and if she... And, and she understood that this was something I had to do, you know, because I really believed that we could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also the, the sponsors felt that, uh, you know, it's a, a 
crazy idea, I guess, for people who are not used to go up there. But <laughs> for me, who have been there so many times, they look on my track rec- records and 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 they f- saw that I was really, really passionate about this expedition. And that's really also the the, the one of the key elements is is to believe in what you're doing, and then of course use the time and your skill, uh, skills, knowledge, experience uh, to be as prepared as possible and deal with whatever happens on the on the expedition itself. But we didn't really have a lot of sponsors on this expedition. Uh, I had my, you know, Norana uh, and the, the other equipment sponsors that was with me. Um, and then I approached a couple of um, private individuals and one of them said that, well, this is... Uh, a difficult and dangerous expedition, just how I like it. <laughs> I will give you the money. <laughs> so uh, That's an excellent answer. Yeah. <laughs> just the answer you would like to hear. Yeah. yeah. No, we actually didn't think that uh, too many would be interested in this trip because uh, there have been so many polar expeditions lately. And uh, so we went out kind of low-key on mm-hmm. this one. And Mike had his own sponsors for his boat Pangea who that and that was really the biggest cost uh, on this expedition to fit out the boat and get that ready with the crew and, and sail that into the polar ocean but apart from that it was mostly equipment and food and all these details uh, mm. which was uh, on my table how would you describe your travel body Mike Horn well Mike is uh, an extremely skilled um, explorer you know i think is uh, probably um, one of the the biggest out there today like the multi-purpose adventurer explorers and he's done so many expeditions especially in the jungle at least before but also lately uh, polar expeditions and and i never met anyone with the the willpower that he has to pull things through uh, he's a quite extraordinary character, actually. Very, very strong and, and determined guy. Okay. And how do you think Mike would describe you if he got the chance? Well, <clears throat> we, um, you know, the Mike and myself, uh, I met Mike the first time in the mid-90s in um, Italy because we had the same sponsors back then and we were part of the Sector No Limits team. So, um so I met him first time there and we kind of had a lot of respect for each other. And I think that's, um, you know, the number one reason why we we teamed up on this trip. And I think that us two, we complement each other. So he is the guy that doesn't really always prepare that well. He just goes <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, and things happens on the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and me, I'm a little bit more the opposite. I, I like to prepare. I like attention to details and and to be as ready as possible uh, when, when I go. And I think that combination um, of the two of us is really also what made us um, do this trip and made it happen. So Sounds I think like he a perfect would, match. Yeah, in one way, it's a perfect match, actually. So I think he would describe me as something like that, that I'm a methodic guy who likes to prepare and have things in order. And uh, and also in the totally different end of the scale when it comes comes to temper, he's more the southern Italian guy with lots of, <laughs> you know, 
hot-tempered guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm more the cool uh, Nordic type. <laughs> so so that also creates some frictions, obviously. But uh, but I think the combination and the you know we use our differences to get to the the goal. Yeah. Uh, and we use our strong sides to get to the goal. Whatever is the goal, whatever is good for the expedition is is what we choose. And. Um, uh, if there was something that Mike was better at than me, then okay, then we we uh, we did it. Uh, used his his knowledge and, um, and and skills, and if there was something else that I knew more about, I took the lead in other fields. So yeah. so that's kind of the was the the spear that the the driving force of this expedition. How do you sit down and, and plan for such a hard and tough expedition? Well, I've I've been following the satellite maps for decades up there, and so I knew uh, more or less where we should enter the ice, and also where we had the best chance of uh, success for exiting the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you have to look on um, on the information that is available and and the drift and all these things, and then you just have to try to calculate how many days of food you need. How long time is this going to take? You know, and and do your best guess mm. and take it from there. But we really went into the unknown on this expedition because nobody had been close to do anything like it. Nobody had done a ski trip up there on the polar ocean uh, at that time of year, really. So um, we felt that we were kind of stealing the last secret on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with this expedition um, that's a nice metaphor yeah yeah and yeah there was no one to call no one no to one ask, to for, ask advice. for advice no no, no. and th- i think also that is one reason why mike and myself are such a good team because we have a lot of experience together and that platform we have when we plan that trip or any trip really is is uh, much broader mm. uh, and deeper mm. and uh And if I just uh, went with another guy, another Norwegian or something like that, who had um, the same skills as me, mm. with Mike, I, I get someone who has uh, different skills. You know, he comes mm. from a different world, uh, even a different continent. He's uh, originally from South Africa, so he has other ideas, other ways of doing things, and and that combination makes us uh, a lot stronger. Mm. There is so much talk about, you know, the. the uh, a chain is just as strong as the weakest link. But yeah. In my mind, a, a chain is also as strong as the str- strongest link, and mm. we like to focus on the strong link. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Focus the opposite way. Yeah, because you can always cover up for your weak links one way or another, but the focus has to be on the strong side mm. because that's where you have your power. That's what. That's the engine. Mm. But it sounds like this expedition, it, it was all about also having a lot of experience. This was yeah. not a trip for like two guys in their 20s on their first it Arctic would, expedition. It, they would not have survived. No, no chance. No. So this was all about having several polar expeditions yeah. in your sleeve. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and especially the, the one we did during winter time. Because now we knew what to bring. Mm. Only really big change 
uh, was was the rafts because we used these pack rafts on this last expedition instead mm. of swimming. On the first one in 2006, we swam across open waters with a dry suit. Uh, but this time we decided to take pack raft because uh, we expect expected a lot more open water mm. and it's a lot faster to go with pack rafts than with swimsuit okay mm. so that was a key element yeah it was yeah we were paddling 10 15 times a day at the beginning of this expedition that's a lot yeah you have to remember that we we sailed into the arctic ocean with the sailboat mm. and to get onto the ice from there and ski onwards it's not going to be a solid flat piece of ice going further is going to be almost as broken as we were going through with the sailboat <laughs> for quite a long time and that's also the i think the most exposed part of the journey uh or one of them was the beginning where mm. we were skiing on this fragile uh, uh, fragmented ice with 4000 meter deep sea level <laughs> underneath our skis and uh, in the middle of a huge ocean and just a big storm out there or, you know, that ice would have been totally crushed or we could have been flushed out into the open sea and just perished. A lot of us would not have slept at all in such a situation. No. <laughs> How did you get to sleep? Well, maybe you get tired and you get used to it. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the, the polar ocean uh, is a special place. Yeah. And, you never wake up in the same place as you went to bed. You always drifted somewhere. <laughs> always drift. And sometimes in the wrong direction as well. Yeah, that happens. You use the Nurana Arktis jacket and bib on your expeditions. And you have developed that yourself. Mm. What's the What kind of special details do we find in these products? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> um, well, uh, you know, a, a jacket um, has normally two arms and it has uh, a hood and a, a zipper and, so, <laughs> yeah. and some pockets. All jackets have. So it's really into the details of how those elements, that how those technical features are placed, how, how the size is, how it works with the zipper, how it works with the ventilation and all these uh, details that is so specialized and yeah, used years to think out. To all these teachers to, to make it fit to what I want it to be so so it's really um, just a lot of details uh, and the same goes with uh, the pants a pants has two legs you know mm. <laughs> uh, but but uh, on top of that to make it work for an expedition you need to, it has to be comfortable it has to be sturdy it has to work uh, you know, I have a special pocket for the camera. You have to think about how to go to the toilet in minus fort. It has to be quick, otherwise you're <laughs> going to freeze your hands off, things like that. Yeah. So it's just all these details that makes that product so good. Mm. This is surely what Norona calls extreme user product development. Yeah, yeah. You you are the key symbol of that kind of development process. Yeah, I think so. I think I don't know, but uh, I think probably that's the the product uh, at Nurana that has been through most tests of all. That is that product. We actually started in two thousand seven with the first version. No, sorry, six two thousand six with the first version. Yeah. 
So it's uh, soon 20 years of 20 development. 20 years of product development into that ah. uh, jacket and trouser. You have worked together with Norona f- for a long time. How how important is it to have such a long time relationship when you go together with a, a clothing sponsor? I think it's uh, you know very important. When when I started with Norona in 1990, it it was uh, Ole Jørgen Jørgensen, the father of uh, Jørgen, yeah. who uh, uh, who was uh, in charge. When you went to the North Pole for the first time, yeah, yeah, and then uh, and Jürgen, um, he started in 2000. Was it five? I think so. 2005. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that long history, that long line, uh, mean a lot. Uh, also, because quality is is a is a is a keyword, but also passion. You mm. know, when you have that long horizon, both mm. back in time and also into the future. There is a lot of obligation. There is a lot of passion, and there is a lot of quality and history behind that. And what I really like with also with working with Norana is also that the the people who are working with design and and materials they are outdoor peoples themselves. You know, they mm. know what what works and and what does not work. Mm. So it's it's easy to. And to work with them, and I always felt that uh, that uh, if it's not good enough, we wait, we wait, we wait yeah. until it's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do it another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, we we both know that uh, products that uh, will help you uh, survive under such uh, circumstances that has to be good. Mm. And the consequences are, are can be can be actually fatal. Mm. We'll talk more about the Arctic clothing in another separate episode of of this podcast, Burger. But what kind of food did you bring on your expedition with Mike Horn? What did you eat? What I ate, uh, it was um, lots of freeze dried uh, food. I actually made. In when we did the first North Pole expedition in 1990, it was not a lot of experiences for food out there with uh, for expeditions. So, so I I had the responsibility for that on that expedition as well. So I really went deep and tried to get knowledge uh, about it. And and then in those ties, ties times, it was all about carbohydrates and yeah. you know um, fast burning calories. But I knew that we were going on uh, endurance trip. So and fat has more um, calories than uh, carbohydrates. So so I was working with. Um, a guy in the military uh, who was working with the nutrition in the military called Upsta, and also a guy in uh, Anarings Institute, whatever <laughs> yeah. that is in English. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, well, he's working for the government then. Yeah, uh, and the food part of the government. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Halverholm, mm-hmm. and those two had had you know really done research on these things and also what what happens with people on starvation and um, in military other places um, and um, we together um, made a kind of a um, recipe or or a mix of food where 
we have a different uh, setup than uh, than normal, uh, where you have as much fast fat as possible. So it's a lot of fat in the food, and it's all divided out uh, during the day. And what it is, um, it is for breakfast. It's porridge mm-hmm. uh, mixed with extra fats. <laughs> yeah. For lunch, I, I make a kind of a mix of dried fruits, nuts, uh, some oatmeal, uh, sugar, and almost like a cake in a way, yeah. and also fat. And for dinner, it's freeze-dried meat, mashed potatoes, and butter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's uh, fat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, as much as fat <laughs> fat as the body can digest, actually. So yeah. more than 50% of the energy comes from fat. Uh, and we eat about three times as much as a normal person would eat during a, a day. So we ate about 6,500 calories on that last expedition. Is that enough or is it not? No, it's not enough. But it's a limit what the body can digest and also the time it takes to eat it yeah, and things yeah. like that. So it's is at as much as the body I can. Think, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's about as high as you can go. Six and a half thousand. But still we lost, uh, you know, 12, 15 kilos each on the, this expedition. That's also a lot. Yeah, it's but it's not extreme. It we had calculated that we would. Uh, so that was the planning was good on the food. Yeah, yeah. Did you sneak uh, in some extra chocolate in the, the sleds, or w- wasn't that possible? <laughs> uh, no, not not some extra chocolate, but I did have some s- sweets with me. You know, it's always good to chew on something. Uh, after dinner sometimes and uh, and it's also good to bring something to share yeah. uh, to share with uh, my friend so but but it's quite calculated I, actually mike he had um, a couple of small boxes of armagnac uh, okay. that we took on the north pole <laughs> yeah. and we did also have that cake we had a cake each that we used to take a little piece uh, with on special occasions to uh, celebrate to celebrate also the small victories yeah so we had some at the north pole and um and also going south from the north pole every time we crossed one uh, latitude you know from one latitude to the other yeah yeah then we took a piece of cake that's a good idea to just keep keep the motivation going yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, when we crossed from 85 uh, degrees to 86 degrees um, we had a piece of cake, uh, but then the wind came and we were pushed back. So we we had to cross that again. <laughs> well, we got a piece of cake, another piece of cake, and then we got pushed back again. And when we crossed it the first time, there no, the third time there was no cake left. There was no cake left. <laughs> That's a pity. Yeah. <laughs> Can you try to describe for us a, a normal day on the ice on this expedition? Well, a normal day. Uh, Actually, it, um, a lot of this trip was done in the dark. About two months of the trip was in the dark with the headlamps, and that makes this trip quite special. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's strange to be in the dark for such a long time, always engulfed in darkness, and you just see the what's in front of you 10, mm. 15 meters from the headlamp. Mm. Um, so mentally, it's quite tiring to be skiing out there, and it was also in 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 a way a, a lonely trip. Even though there <clears throat> were two of us, uh, because the sled we were pulling was so heavy, 
we pulled 190 kilos each. 190? 190 kilos each. <laughs> and just to, to get that forward, you know, yeah. took so much energy that we hardly spoke during the day. Is that even human possible to, to drag 190 kilos? It is, it is uh, possible, but it's, it's like being in the gym for 10 hours a day. <laughs> so that's why we also got so tired at the end. Yeah. Um, we were just breaking down the body all the time. And there was no time for like chit-chatting and small talk during the day? No, very little, very little talking during the day, yeah. <laughs> How was it when you went into your tent in the afternoon? Then we normally were so tired that was not much talking in the tent uh, Neither. <laughs> as well. Um, so... <laughs> So it was a kind of a lonely trip in a way. Uh, yeah. Is it and true that uh, Mike Horn snores as well during the night? He snores big time. And I totally <laughs> forgot about that because he did that on the last trip in 2006 as well. But uh, So I forgot my earplugs. You did? Yeah, I forgot them. So now you had to just keep up with the, the, the snoring? For the whole expedition? Yeah, there was no other choice. And uh, But Mike, he said that, okay, yeah, just kick me and I will turn. And then I kicked him and he turned. I kicked him again, he turned. And third time, when the fourth time I kicked him, he woke up and said, Birge, I turned 360 degrees now. There's nothing more left to do. <laughs> <laughs> so that was... That was the end of the... Yeah, but actually I made a couple of earplugs out of my foam mat. Homemade earplugs? Homemade earplugs, yeah. And they helped? They helped a little bit, yeah. 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 Do you have? Do you bring any music with you on such an expedition? Yeah, I do. A friend of mine, he made this Spotify library for me. Yeah, yeah. And I also had lots of music. Uh, and But about three, three weeks into the expedition, I had a message on my iPhone. Please verify your account. <laughs> <laughs> From Spotify? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was no chance <clears throat> you could verify anything out there? Absolutely not, because there was no <laughs> signal of any kind. Uh, so obviously that I, maybe he didn't have that pro account. So after a certain amount of time, it kind of you yeah. need to re-verify it. But luckily, I did have a couple of uh, old MP3 players with okay. some old audiobooks yeah. and also some old kind of music that I took uh, back in the days. So I still had those as backup, luckily. Okay. I did have that. So what that kind had, of music is that? Oh, I had, there was mm, Neil Young, uh, Jimi Hendrix, um, some CC Top and, you know, good rock and roll. Classics. Uh, yeah, because out there you need energy. Yeah, you need something that kind of lifts you up and uh, keeps you going. So, so you need something that gives you energy. So, so I had those still mm. with me all the way. Luckily, what if you get any kind of negative thoughts out there? Is there some help in your body to talk about it, or you just keep it for yourself? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know that we don't like to show our weak spots. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> so you keep it for yourself. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. Yeah, you just have to deal with your yeah. your you own have thoughts. To deal with it. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, you know, I've done many solo trips, and uh, solo trips are always harder mm. because then you're completely um, in your on your own, and 
some of the solar trips was without communication also. Mm. Um, so then you really have to deal with it. And I just learned um, to, um, yeah, what did I learn? I, I learned to, to believe that tomorrow always will be better. And I learned to uh, to to look forward mm. to things uh, that uh, in, in instead of the opposite. Mm. Uh, and I think you can choose that. Yeah. And then you you will have a different mindset if you're able to do that. Um, but of course, the, there are days you can't be on top all the time. You will have oh. days that you are when you are down and out, and you feel sorry for yourself, and you just want to go home and stuff like that. And that's fine, you know. That's natural. Mm. Uh, you have you just have to accept that, mm. uh, and then. But you also have to know that that feeling will pass if you give it some time. Yeah. And and uh, for me, uh, it's it's a lot about trying to know yourself as good as possible before you go, mm. um, because. Um, if you do that, um, you will not be that surprised when you you're having a bad day mm. on the ice. Uh, you know that's okay. That's that's it. It's natural. But um, do you believe it's a key thing to just look forward for tomorrow and not look too far away, the next yeah. month and <clears throat> the next two months? Yeah, I often change the perspective. Change the perspective. So if I'm having a bad day or a kind of a very tired period uh, or the conditions are hopeless you know the wind is holding and you're drifting the wrong way and things like that uh, you just think about the next meal or or looking forward to get some sleep at night uh, and when the conditions are good and you feel better then you can dream about the goal on the other side so I change perspective all the time mm. on expeditions like that and that's been a huge benefit for me because mm. sometimes the goal is too far away simply mentally yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to believe that okay am I going to be here for another two months in these conditions yeah, that's not the smart thing to say <laughs> but it's better to say well it's, uh, it's a horrible day I'm really looking forward to, to get a hot uh meal uh, in the evening evening and a good night of sleep you know yeah. that's that's a lot better yeah yeah uh, so that's why do change perspective hmm. your original plan was to be picked up by by the sailboat pangea on the, on the other side of the the north pole mm. when did you realize that you had to think different about it <clears throat> well it was actually mike who made that decision because uh, pangea was his boat Mm -hmm. And uh, as you, the, uh, when we saw how the conditions were and, and the, the temperature, the darkness and the thicker and denser ice, he was afraid that that boat was going to be um, damaged by the ice mm -hmm. and also the crew mm -hmm. and the experience of the crew. And, and uh, so he dis decided to uh, to pull that boat from the table Um And, and, you know, that's a decision I just had to accept because mm. it's his boat. He's spent yeah, a lot of time living on the board, that boat, and kind of it's his home. Mm. Uh, so I had to accept that. But that meant that on top of everything else we were fighting with, um, we had to get another boat. 
Mm. And luckily, we have a super good team back home. Lars Ebbesen, Bengt Rotmo, who were really working hard to to try to find another vessel that could pick us up. And they found Lanse. Mm-hmm. And Lanse was ready in um, Tromsø. And, and we managed to, to charter her. So in November, Lanse went north. End of November, it went north to Svalbard and into the ice north of Svalbard. Mm. And uh, as far as the ice, uh, the, the open water could take her and was waiting for us there. Mm. So that was uh, it's a very good, uh, actually, solution. And the boat was uh, super good for that. Yeah. And your friends, Alexander Gamme, and you mentioned Bengt Rotmo, mm. they came on board Lanse. And uh, as two experienced adventurers they sell themselves, they went from the ship out on the ice to meet you towards the end of your expedition. Yeah, that was the kind of the plan B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because when we were pushing uh, south to try to reach the boat, uh, we had very little food left. Uh, and, uh, and it was a little bit like they did in the old days when... Uh, party of explorers were not arriving at a certain time or or if they kind of gone missing and people it was sent out a party to to greet them or to look for them yeah um as an extra precaution and so so that was the agreement with uh, Bengtan and Alexander that they would leave Lanse going north Mike and myself were coming from the north going south and we would meet on the ice in and in case we were not able to get, go all the way to the boat with the uh, the provisions we had on in the sleds mm-hmm. we we had that security as a backup mm. so that's why they left but then something happened just before you met each other yeah what was that <clears throat> well, it was a little bit of drama uh, and uh, it was uh, we 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 saw the lights of Bengt and Alexander just uh, maybe half a kilometer away or something like that yeah. And that was the first light we had seen for three months. We didn't see even an airplane on this expedition. So, <laughs> so, so we were so geared up and wow, you know, the guys are just there. And and, and then I said to Mike that I had to have to film this. So I took up my camera because I had the infrared camera that could film yeah. in the dark. And I filmed... I filmed uh, and as Mike was skiing uh, towards the light and then suddenly he disappeared. And no. then I just saw some splashing of water and skis up in the air and then I knew what had happened and he had gone out on thin ice, the ice had broken and he had gone through the water. Oh. Yeah, Just the same day as we saw uh, we're going to meet Bengt and, and uh, Alex. And then I thought, wow, this is this is not going to end good. <laughs> you had that thought? Yeah, I had that thought, yeah. Because you knew that now is... We were so tired. Uh, it was, I think it was minus 25 and quite stiff breeze. And uh, to get totally soaked in that temperature is so dangerous and you... Luckily, he was still connected to the sled, so I managed to get him on onto the edge and help him help helped him out of there. Mm. But he was wet from the neck and down, mm. so I never put up the tent and got in the stove going so fast in my whole life. I think. <laughs> um, 
How many minutes did you use together? I don't think more than two minutes. No. Yeah. So Mike was running around trying to keep warm. Well, but we have a good routine for for these things. We we have we know what to do. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, ultimately uh, that helps. So but you brought him into the tents and had he any chance of get those clothes off or? Yeah, yeah, we had to cut the zipper off mm. actually um, because it was frozen with a knife. Yeah, with a knife. Yeah, uh, but this 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 is a classical example of uh, because normally we have a strict routine going forward. Always look down, checking the ground and and see mm. what's there. And if it doesn't look good, you check with your ski poles and things. But we got distracted. Yeah. From that light, and we <laughs> forgot about uh, all these uh, precautions and security measures that we normally do. So, so and then you have accidents, mm. and you also—it's typical that it happens when you're tired um, at the end of the shift. That's mm. when you have your accidents because you don't pay attention uh, uh, as as much as you would normally do. But you managed to get him warm and, and dry again. Yeah, we had two stoves. So we got got the temperature up in the tent, and um, we had some spare clothing with us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it took five hours to to get him <laughs> dried up and heated up enough uh, so that we could uh, continue the trip. Mm. And when we did that, we'd already been gone f- going for twenty hours that day. But we were so close to Bengton Alex that we oof, <laughs> we wanted to, <laughs> we just wanted to go there and then had to well, meet them finally and when you finally met them what happened did you give him give uh, them a hug <laughs> yeah well i had been out checking uh the conditions when after kind of felt that we had control and mike was uh, up and running and dried his boots and stuff i went out checking the conditions and we were separated from the others by a huge lead of those five six hundred meters Okay. Across. Yeah. So they had no idea what was going on. They said, "Are they guys camping or what's happening?" So, and so, uh, and that lead was full of ice lumps and not possible really to paddle across. We didn't want to, to risk it. But I, I, I saw that it was narrowing towards the east. So I managed to to get the message across uh, to. First to Lars Ebersen and then to Bengt. Okay. That um, they had to follow our lights uh, and we had to f- try to find a crossing point. Mm. And then we walked along that lead and, and then when it was just 30, 40 meters across, I saw the light was going closer and closer. And, and, and then I said to Mike, you go first because I just wanted to, to stay there for a few seconds by myself. Uh uh, also knowing that this was going to be the last time that it was just Mike and myself on this expedition. Mm. So you had an, a moment there. Yeah. A little bit sad in a way. Yeah? Yeah. In one way, I think it's a little bit sad also. We we want the trip to end, but it's also a little bit sad when it ends. Because so it's it's a, there's so a little many... bit of melancholy on the last last yeah. day as, yeah. as a couple. Yeah. There, there is so many moments and experiences uh, for life on such an expedition, and and suddenly it's it's over. Mm.
they had brought some food with them. Did you take any of that? No, we didn't. Uh, which <laughs> What might, kind of self-discipline is that? Which might no, it's because we had we've been we've been skiing. This was day eighty-seven, mm-hmm. or actually it was day eighty-six when we met, and then was one day more to Lanse. Mm-hmm. But we had and we had food for eighty-five days, so we were already over normally uh, what we would had uh, have uh, as rations but uh, we had skied um, so so many hours um, the last couple of weeks and extended the day to 30 hours so our okay. over week was six days not seven you had 30 hour <laughs> days so so we actually saved two days of food doing that so when we met that's creative <laughs> creative of you yeah So when we met Bengt and Alex, we still had one day of food left in the sled. Okay. We actually had we had food for eighty seven days because we stretched it. Yeah. Uh, so when we met them, uh, they uh, what what do you guys want? You know, we have chocolate, we have ham. They said no, no, we <laughs> don't want anything, <laughs> which they thought was quite annoying since they carried all this stuff. But it's and I guess it sounds a bit strange that we didn't do that, but but. but In the long kind of picture, how you get judged in polar history, you it, it's it's a definition mm. uh, with unsupported. What you can, if you are sufficient uh, with what you have from day one to the end, um, it makes a difference actually. Mm. Uh, so so we didn't accept any food from them and we stayed and we had one night together the same place but we stayed separately in this separate okay. tents and didn't take any resources from them but you realize that it may seem a little strange to the rest of us yeah <laughs> it's it kind seems, of self-discipline it seems strange it's just how the, the you are judged in uh, the big picture yeah. when it comes to polar history The to, polar ethics to be unsupported from day one to yeah, finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, polar ethics. You know, someone compares this ski expedition with uh, you know Alex Hanel's free soloing of the Al Capitan in the U.S. What do you mm. think about such mm. comparison? Well, I think it's you know dif- di- in one way difficult to compare uh, a, a mountain expedition with a polar expedition because it's it's so different. Mm. Um, Uh, so, so in the mountains, you're you're ex- doing extreme things in 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 one day, mm-hmm. uh, but on the on the, on the trip across the North Pole, we we <laughs> did it for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's very different, and, and and also just the element to get to the start point is mm-hmm. was extremely difficult with the boat. Uh, Uh, with the Pangea and also the exit as well so it's it's a lot a lot I think it's a little bit too uh, much uh, many differences to uh, to, to compare, compare it. it but uh, I think one comparison well is you never say never uh, but uh, I don't think that uh, this trip that Mike and myself did will be repeated <laughs> no you have said yourself that this is maybe the most difficult expedition that you have been on yeah uh, and yeah. why is that just the level of difficulties all the way from from we left Nome until we were um, actually back in Tromsø we actually we got stuck on the ice also three weeks after for three weeks after we got on board Lanza oh 
Yeah. Three more weeks on the ice. Yeah. But that was fine because we were safe on board the boat. Um, <laughs> and you had some food. And, we had food. And a shower and as shower well. Shower and all that. We've been looking forward to so long with there. Within reach, so for us it was just fine. But uh, I think it was difficult. Uh, um, lots and lots of unforeseen factors. And we really, really were pushing it at the end of this trip. And uh, we made it on the really the last lunch bag I had one bag of lunch mm. and half a liter of fuel left uh, when we reached the boat and um, and I'd never been so tired in my whole life as on that last day and I don't think I would have survived one more week actually mm. uh, that's how tired I was towards then so we, we, we really really pushed it we gave everything on this expedition on other trips I have they have been super difficult as well, but I always had a bit of food left and mm. things were going more or less as planned. On this trip, we had to fight so many obstacles and the elements and drifting back and all that. And and still, uh, we made it, which was, was great, but it was, it was a thin line. Mm. I don't think the line has been so thin ever as on this expedition. I understand. Can you reveal where you will be going next? What kind of expedition are you planning right now? The next trip will be Devon Ice Cap on Devon Island, okay. which is um, on northern parts of Canada. Yeah, and that will be together with Vincent Colliard in August. Uh, we That's the French uh, explorer. The French explorer, also a northern ambassador. Yeah. And uh, this that will be a part of the Ice Legacy Project where Vince and I are crossing the, the biggest ice caps in the world and, and try to, to tell what is happening with, with these ice caps. They are disappearing uh, fast and uh, those ice caps are places where humans normally don't go to. We don't really think about glaciers and, and ice caps, but they are really, really important for both sustaining life on the planet and also when it comes to um, um, climate change. Uh, we all know that the glacier that is, is melting will end up in the sea contributing to sea level rise, but, but these big ice caps is also the fridge of the world. Mm -hmm. They're so important for having um, a kind of a stable temperature on Earth. Mm. And you are both aiming to cross the biggest glaciers yeah. on Earth. Mm, the 20 biggest ice caps on Earth. To, to, to try to, we're not scientists. We want to, to be that visual eye on the ground, come back with stories to tell how it is there, a bit focus on, on the importance of glaciers and ice and also bridge science and adventure. Mm. And that's what we want to do. You must come back here, both of you. And yeah. We would we love will. to hear more about that expedition. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, Burger. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. Norana podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norana Sport. Norana has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929. Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents sleeping bags and skis on our website norona.com. There you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in 
our ambassadors and our ambitions in sustainability. Thank you for listening to Norona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature.